0: scoops with danny mack the podcast
1: on 101 espn welcome into the show and a wednesday edition of scoops with danny mack i'm dan mclaughlin colin surrey is our producer and he always chimes in with great info he makes me think and you folks make me think that's why i love the text line and the rhino shield mic drop you know i just kind of throw out some things you guys respond one way or another. But you make me think. This is your show. It's interactive. Let's have a little fun. We will talk it over with Randy Flores today. The Major League Baseball draft will take place this year. Yep, it's going to take place. And like everything else in sports... It's going to be unique this season. There are only five rounds. So, how has his job changed? How are they able to evaluate players when there are no games happening right now? Randy Flores, the former reliever of the Cardinals, now assistant GM running the draft for St. Louis, will be my guest. And we start with baseball on this Wednesday morning. Look, I get it. We all want sports. I want sports. Colin wants sports. You want sports. We need sports. The American psyche needs sports. But if you really thought about how this is going to work, it isn't as easy as just saying, okay, there's an agreement, now let's go out and play. I would love to see it go off without a hitch, and it might, but there are a lot of hurdles to get through. Think about this. There would be the local governments of 27 cities, a foreign country, and the availability of more than 200,000 reliable coronavirus tests. And according to an ESPN report, Major League Baseball will be competing with medical providers for essential resources in some of these states. MLB vowed it would not siphon resources from the public. So let's just think about that for a moment. There is a lot to get through. It's a daunting task. And this has to get buy-in still from the players. Then there's the agreement side that has to be made from the revenue standpoint. The New York Post obtained an email that offers evidence that the players agreed to take a pay cut back in late March. But nothing more, even if there weren't fans in the stands. We know there's not going to be fans in the stands. Maybe later in the season. Fingers crossed. That's what we're hoping for. Jared Diamond from the Wall Street Journal was a guest of Ribs and BK yesterday. He said the players
2: right now, they just don't want to give in an inch. The current CBA expires after 2021. And both sides want to present strength. They want to present Uh, sort of an image that they're not going to back down and the players believe that they're giving an inch on this, Uh, giving an inch on what is their greatest victory for decades which is there is no salary cap, there is no restriction on spending in baseball other than the free market to give an inch on that is a very bad idea leading into what's going to be a very contentious CBA negotiation Uh, they view that as sort of the the non-negotiable part of their position that we've never had a salary cap it is what we stand for as a union. It is what, why we are the envy of every other sports union. And we're not going to let you sort of take that away from us now in this time of crisis. Because Major League Baseball, they're certainly not above using this crisis to sort of get what it wants uh, in other areas. We've already seen that with things like the draft and the minor league, where things they kind of have wanted to do and have not been able to actually implement it. Well, suddenly with this crisis, they've been able to sort of sneak it
1: in there. That was a great interview with Ribs and BK yesterday, and it's like the news. Non-sports, it just changes every single day, and it's changing every single day in baseball. ESPN's Tim Kirchin. This is the problem. I believe everyone, and I don't believe anyone. That's the problem.
3: It doesn't matter who you speak to. He has a different thought on things and the next person that you're going to think uh, to talk to the only thing is we have to have complete collaboration between the union and the owners in order to get this done and right now they're simply not on the same page and that gives me pause and yet another guy texted me to say i think we're going to play 60 games we're going to start on august the first we're going to play extended playoffs." That's how it's going to go. And he was certain of that. I'm not certain of anything.
1: 60 games on August 1st. I could see that as well. I could see the 4th of July. The idea of extended playoffs. Now, I could see that satisfying your national TV revenue, potentially. And I do like the fact we haven't heard much from either side in the last 48 hours through the media. Now, we're hearing media people talk about it. And there's going to be folks that leak it. But we're not hearing many players talk about it. The owner's not talking about it. At least I haven't seen it. And anytime you don't hear anything, remember this. That's usually a very, very good sign. And that's when negotiations are getting hammered out. And they're starting to move to a resolution. Mega baseball agent Scott Boris. We have no knowledge of any uh, proposals that are uh, about a 50-50 split. uh, But I think what happened in March was that I think the players really realized, you know, with the public health issue, that they kind of wanted to roll up their sleeves and be good partners, and I don't think this was a fault of anyone, and uh, there was a, a request by the MLB owners, and Tony Clark and Rob Manfred sat down, they talked about things, and they came back to the players, and I know the players that I represent, we all sat down and talked and said, look, we... It's a partnership. It's not their fault. It's
2: not our fault. We're going to roll up our sleeves and try to put together a resolution for this.
1: You're right. It's nobody's fault. Pandemic hit our world, and it changed everything. So we will see. Roll up your sleeves. Get it done. I like that idea. If they don't come together, though, I don't want to imagine what the sport would look like when it comes out of a stoppage over money. If the testing is there, player safety is there, they feel healthy enough to go, but you don't do it because of money... Oh, boy. There's a reason there has been historic labor peace, by the way, since 1994. And it's really simple when you think about it. The sport has realized that they couldn't do that again. Can't happen again. Fans had had enough. And then there was Cal Ripken with Lou Gehrig's streak. There was Sosa McGuire, 98. Interleague play. Some folks liked it. Some don't. But it was interesting. Fans went out to the ballpark. A Yankees dynasty. That helps with Derek Jeter leading the way. And most importantly, what you had? Labor peace. I mentioned that we'll visit with Randy Flores on the upcoming MLB draft. On my website every Wednesday, dropped it this morning on com. I talk it over with Brian Walden of com. He covers the Cardinals and, in particular, the Cardinals minor league system.
0: Well, I think it's just one more nail in the coffin. I, I, as we've discussed in recent weeks, Dan, you know the odds of playing a minor league season all along didn't look good because... The way that minor league teams make all their revenue is via tickets sold and and concessions and, you know, all the game day revenue, and they don't have TV contracts. So you, you're not going to be able to play games in all these cities anyway because, you know, all the approvals won't be in place across all the 160 teams for minor league baseball, and, there's, and therefore the minor league owners aren't going to make any money. Therefore, the only hope would be that if organizations are allowed to bring 150 200 players together in their spring training complex and have some type of a camp you know an extended spring training camp you know that would be maybe the way that organizations could you know get in a year or a partial year of development for minor league players but right now even that's not known and major league baseball could easily say hey we got 50 guys to choose from that's more than enough to cover any injuries or any problems that occur We're just going to bag Minor League Baseball and and pick it up in 2021.
1: Man, I hate hearing that. I am a Minor League Baseball guy. I love watching Minor League Baseball. I watch it on my iPad all the time. I watch the Cardinals Minor League System. But here you have businesses that many of these Minor League folks are, are family businesses that run these teams. And you are counting. I mean, you are banking on, literally banking on fans at the ballpark. And the trickle-down effect of this is development of players, number one. You're not going to have that. And what happens then next? You know, if you got the 50 guys on a roster and, say, 20 of them are on a taxi squad, where do you go from here? I'm going to talk about Dylan Carlson more tomorrow, but... I'm concerned about that. I mean, you've got young guys, Matthew Libitor, and you can only do so many sides and throw on a mound on you know in your backyard or your local park or whatever. It's not facing competition, and it's not getting the coaching that you need to get to the double-A level. And if you're at the double-A level, you're very close to Major League Baseball. That's the way it's been the last five or ten years where guys make that jump from double-A all the way to the big leagues. And if you don't have that... I don't know, Colin. I'm, I'm concerned because I love minor league baseball and it's a shame that we probably won't have it this year.
3: Well, it makes you wonder too, two or three years from now, is there a gap in, in players that are ready to no come question. up and be ready to play? How is that going to change the dynamic of the free agent market as a result? How is it going to change the, the way that play or teams look at the international draft in supplementing what they get through in the in the regular draft i mean just five rounds this year there are going to be a lot of
1: changes that owners are going to have to in front offices are going to have to adapt to on the fly here yep we'll talk about it with randy flores coming up the best example of fans winning sports is what we saw over the weekend and that was soccer in germany taylor twelman was a guest of the show yesterday
0: their state and health department were pragmatic they were progressive and they were transparent with how they went about testing, and that afforded them the opportunity to pull this off. You're looking at the viewership numbers around the world, it's their highest weekend ever, and I don't find that a coincidence. People are dying for for live sports, dying for some competition.
1: That's the point, testing was good, fans want to see sports back on the field, that's why you have to get on the field. And we're starting to see, I think, and feel momentum, of the return of sports, whether it's the NHL, the NBA, certainly Major League Baseball. NFL team facilities have opened up in limited fashion. The organizers of the Belmont Stakes said that they plan to run their race on June 20th as the first leg of the Triple Crown, so it's an upside-down schedule this summer. But, hey, it's better than no sports at all. This date in baseball history got my attention back in 1920. 24 fans, Colin, were arrested in the stands of a baseball game in Chicago for gambling got me thinking at what point and trying to generate uh, a revenue here are we going to be able to go to a game and gamble at the ballpark with the technology available and to be able to bet on the inning pitcher hitter coming up in a matchup in some inning how many pitches will it take to get three outs endless possibilities i bet it's sooner than you think honey i'll grab the kids some soda I'll get the cotton candy and uh, some hot dogs and, oh, while I'm in the concourse, I'm going to, you know, just drop a hundo this inning and I'll see you soon. (laughs) What do you think? Dan, don't you think that
3: this is going to be facilitated by everything that has gone down over these last couple of months? I mean, organizations are going to be hurting financially. And everything that we've talked about, it's all going to come down to the money at the end of the day. So you better have
1: imagination.
3: I, it's it's too sweet a deal, I think, for these organizations, for these teams, to not consider something like that as taboo as it has been, especially in the sport of baseball. I think people are going to have to start changing their thinking in that
1: way kenny boyer the captain born on this date 1931 i've always wondered why we don't have captains in baseball jason veritek was the he wore the c for the boston red Sox, and you know what if there was one in 2020 and it was the cardinals gotta be out of your molina right he's the captain he's the face of the franchise he's out there every day he plays every inning he's controlling the pitching staff he's in your lineup and by the way the fans love him and he's won he's your he's your captain gotta be right absolutely who else would you think i mean wainwright but he's a pitcher you when you look at the
3: cardinals the the way that they rely on yadier molina it's not just for his play on the field it's his leadership and that is what encompasses that role as a captain as as benji molina said later on in character and smallman no brainer bring him back
1: no brainer he's the captain 10.15 here in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Coming up, we visit about the MLB draft with Randy Flores on 101 ESPN.
0: More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
1: Major League career, winning his pitcher at USC. It's Randy Flores. He is the assistant general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, also running the draft for St. Louis. And even though there hasn't been baseball on the field, the business of baseball continues with the draft coming up in early June. And Randy joins us on 101 ESPN. Always good to hear your voice, Randy Flores. How are things with you?
4: Outstanding, Dan. Thanks for
1: having me on. You bet. Everybody safe and healthy in your family?
4: No, we're really lucky. Kids are healthy. Family's healthy, happy. Um, we, we truly are lucky when there's a a, a lot of, of, of pain going on elsewhere.
1: You know, it, it must be just kind of just an unbelievable stoppage in your, your life, just like for everybody else, because you're a guy... That lives on the road. I mean, you're always on the. If there's a game, you might see Randy Flores. It could be wiffle ball at Francis Park, or you're down in Puerto Rico. It doesn't matter. And now you're you're hunkered down at home, just like everybody else, quarantined. So, on a personal level, what's it been like? Just all of a sudden, it stops and and no travel for Randy Flores, who's got a young family.
4: Yeah, well, look, it, it, it's now turned into my my wife is asking me like, when when can you hit the road? This is uh, it this sounds, is unprecedented.
1: I get the uh, same thing. That's it. You, you, Our wives must be talking. But anyway, oh,
4: and, <laughs> and Mac, I, I you, you could relate to this. Then the noises that I have heard on the outside of my office door while a ten year old, eight year old, and a two and a half year old argue over school assignments Zooms <laughs> with teachers, uh, each other, and toys is something that I I I, I don't think I can repeat. <laughs> um but no, it is it is actually you know a, a benefit of this you know unprecedented landscape is to be able to uh when the evening uh draws near and my office door opens to to spend some time with family that i that I have not been able to do in the springtime for years and years.
1: Isn't that weird, though, for uh, for guys that have made a living in baseball like we have for so many years, and we both played college baseball, so yep. y- you played at a very high level. I was at a small, very small level, <laughs> but yet – it was that's what consumed us you know being at, yep. the, at the ballpark and all of a sudden to have that taken away you, you just I, I don't know about you i'm never going to take it for granted again when i'm in the middle of a 16th inning uh and it's one o'clock in the morning i would welcome that right now i can't wait for it to come back
4: no doubt you know our, our scouts had a a group text uh going on and one of them started up the uh, uh i miss scouting so much i'll never complain about fill in the blank right right so all those things you know the long days the rainouts, you know lightning delays that showcases in florida that make games go till three in the morning um you know early flights etc you know i think i think all of us you know in baseball and out are when we come out of this which we will um eventually uh we will appreciate uh so much more um On the other side of this
1: absolutely the the draft and that's why i really wanted to get you on to talk about this june 10th uh the cardinals correct me if i'm wrong will have seven picks in five rounds and the 21st overall pick so um in this particular case now it's not a long draft it's not 30 40 rounds we're talking about five how unique is this draft for randy flores and your staff
4: well, uh, unprecedented, right? And not just for me, but for all, all scouting directors, whether you've been in the job a few years like me or or like some of our veterans who are, you know, going on to their second decade of leading scouting departments. And with each of those orgs, there's different ways of tackling that. And we're marching through the process of tackling it in our own uh, u- unique way to our culture and processes as we march to, to these selections.
1: How about evaluating players? If you can't see them in person um, with technology, I'm assuming that has got to be big for what you're trying to do for your job.
4: Yeah, you know what? It's just more complex, Dan. And so you think of even a few years ago, uh, what was groundbreaking was some sort of video, an archive and tagging video system, much like the business that and startup that I was in before coming here. But then since then, uh, there's been a proliferation of, of ball tracking and TrackMan and sensors and Rapsodos And hitting cage or hit tracks, uh, there is uh, various performance assessment that's just everywhere now. And it's not just something that happens in the month before the draft. And so it's kind of balancing all these new pieces of information in a landscape that's unprecedented, and coming to the best decision possible with that limited data set.
1: Do you find, Randy, that that players or their fathers or their coaches, um, universities, colleges, whatever, high schools, are sending video out of, of all their kids to all the teams just to say, hey, here's my guy, he's still working, and, and this is some of the measuring that you can do on video?
4: You know what? Th- there is a platform for that through the commissioner's office where there are uh, procedures in place, because you, you have to balance that, Dan, uh, you know, let's just say an ambitious parent or a, in, uh, an advisor or a kid who's trying to show the professional scouting landscape uh, that he's healthy or that he's in shape, uh, but but balancing that with uh, health and safety uh, of those participating, making sure that they're adhering to the policies uh, that are enacted in their local municipalities or, or, or cities or states. And so it is a balancing act, and there are checks and balances in place to make sure uh, that whatever uh, prospects are sending out is done in a safe manner.
1: Absolutely. Um, Randy Flores is our guest, the assistant GM of the Cardinals, and the draft is, is coming up. It's right around the corner. Um, I, I mentioned that you had this recruiting service in your past. Describe that to fans because you were, in my opinion, you were kind of ahead of the game with technology and things of that nature. What were you doing with that recruiting service that really caught the attention of a lot of people in baseball?
2: Well, what what
4: I was doing was I had just come out of baseball, professional baseball, and I was in graduate school. And while I graduated school at USC, I was an assistant baseball coach. And so part of that for my year coaching involved uh, recruiting or scouting uh, potential recruits. And in doing that, I found myself frustrated that it was archaic in many ways. It was the typical scout goes to game, scout takes notes, scout takes notes back to head coach, coach has to go to game to see what you just explained. And, and all I did was try to piece together uh, the operations and logistics to capture the types of video that I was accustomed to studying and using and prepping with as a major leaguer and taking that to places that did not have the infrastructure or the, the, the cost basis to support uh, that type of experience on amateur fields where it's not just one amateur field. It's 12 fields at complexes or particularly what got the, in, the notice of the industry is that I took this concept uh, to the Cape Cod summer league and captured, uh, their entire summer, uh, in a mobile setup of, of this type of tagged video. And, uh, you know, the, since then, uh, the technology has gotten even better and better. And, uh, I, I think that, that the concept wound up being proven sound.
1: Yeah, it's, it is fascinating. And I saw it, you, you showed it to me, um, for fans that don't know what, what's your degree in?
4: Uh, I was getting a master's of education, emphasizing in athletic administration, as at the time I was considering uh, going down the path of athletic administration on college campuses.
1: Do you miss being in uniform, Randy? Because you were also helping out with the USC program, and obviously you played a, a number of years. Do you miss being in uniform at all? You
4: know what? I, I'd say it's kind of like, well, do you miss being in high school? Or do you miss being in college? Or do you miss being in eighth grade? Like, no, there's there's things that I love about that and things that I'll remember fondly about that. But it was like a time in my life, right? It, it was a it was a it was a time in my life that was an amazing time and and, and some of the best memories of my life. But candidly, I, I I love what I do now and I love being on this side of it. Um, I'll, I'll always and every time I do think back to wearing the uniform, uh, I think back to my teammates and I think back to playing for the Cardinals and I think, you know, of uh, uh, some of the the lucky experiences uh, that I've been able to experience by by being tethered to the Cardinals. Um as a player, but no, it's not a day where I wake up, and sadly, you know, take off one grandpa slipper and then another <laughs> grandpa slipper and look at my decaying jersey in the closet and wish it was on. Uh, that's that's not the case at all.
1: You mentioned your your former teammates. How cool is it? And we're going to have our, our Hall of Fame unveiling for the Cardinals Hall of Fame on Friday. And you, you just made me think of this. But how cool is it this time last year to hear that Izzy and Roland, uh, Jimmy was already in. But your former teammates going into the Cardinals Hall of Fame and then to see the emotion with those speeches. How cool is that for you as a former player to see that?
4: Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, it really is because you know you know how stoic both those guys could be. Um, they could be stoic uh, when they're dealing with injury. They could be stoic with uh, coaches. They could be stoic with the media. Uh, but that gave them a chance really to, to show all that they appreciated, uh, their spouses, their kids, their parents, their teammates, this city, our ownership group. Um, And it really was a glimpse uh, into the emotion that is behind the facade of a player who is trying his best uh, 162 games a year plus the postseason to deliver uh, experience. Uh, and a winning team that Cardinals fans expect.
1: Well, you mentioned postseason. I, I want to ask you about Game 7, 2006. And as you know, yeah. we're, we're going through all the the great moments because that's what we like to do now when there's no live sports. Uh-huh. So yeah, one of the great moments, 2006, Game 7, the Yachty home run, the Adam Wainwright curveball, and then, oh, by the way, the guy that won the game was Randy Flores. Um <laughs> You're laughing a little bit. It, it, I'm laughing because why?
4: somehow you, I, I can count on you to make me perk up and smile by bringing up <laughs> that moment in my life.
1: You should be very proud of it. And and what is it like when you go back and watch that game? I talk to fans, and they're like, I still get nervous. I still get nervous when Andy Chavez makes the catch on Roland and doubles up Jimmy. I get nervous with Beltron bases loaded. You were in the thick of it. The place literally was shaking. When you watch it, what's it like for you?
4: It, it's it's weird kind of seeing that snapshot in time. And I, I can only say that I, when I watch it, I'm reminded of how scared I was, <laughs> how nervous I was, and simultaneously how I had never been more focused in my entire life. It was a, a very strange uh, experience, uh, full of adrenaline uh it, it's almost like every at least for me every every uh, fight or flight fiber was 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 battling with each other and then you realize like if you don't throw the pitch across the plate like this isn't going to go well you have to you see I have to somehow conjure up uh the focus and will uh to compete and to be able to come out on the other side of that to not let my teammates down to be able to to dogpile in Shea Stadium and then ultimately here in St. Louis at the end of a World Series championship is, you know, I I get goosebumps thinking about it, and I appreciate it that you brought it up.
1: I always bring it up. Do you remember what Marty Mason said to you in the bullpen? He was the bullpen coach. (laughs) Do you remember what he said to you?
4: Yeah, look, you know Marty Mason. He was uh, sparse with his words, and, you know, I I think I had upwards of 60-something appearances, and the most he had said during any one of those games is, Come on, Flo, you can do it. Something along those lines, a little pat on the behind. Uh, But in this instance, as I was warming up there with my life flashing in front of me and every fan (laughs) over the bullpen screaming things about my family that I didn't even know could be (laughs) said out loud without being arrested, um, he stopped me, and and he stopped my warm-ups and said, hey, Flo, um, you know that Carlos Delgado could very well hit a home run against you here? No, he didn't. I was warming up to face. And I'm looking at him like a deer in headlights, like what? And he goes, who cares? If he does make him do it, Flo, make him do it. And it really was a, he he spoke about the pink elephant in the room. He acknowledged that failure might happen. He acknowledged that he knew failure might happen and that he was okay with it. And for some reason at that moment at a time, that resonated with me to know that all I had to do was go out there and give my best effort and see what happened rather than being afraid
1: of the result. That is so awesome. Um, We have a couple of guys that you drafted. Tommy Edmond, Cardinals don't get into postseason play without his contributions last year. Dylan Carlson on the cusp of being a major leaguer. Um, are you like a proud papa when you watch those guys? It's got to be different than maybe how other people evaluate it. But these were your guys. You invested in them. All of a sudden, they're ready to be big leaguers. One is already. What's that like for you is from, your, from your perspective and your seat in the organization?
4: Look, I, I'd answer it this way. The, the biggest thing is I'm just proud of them, right? Not so much me being a proud papa, but someone was going to draft Tommy Edmonds. Someone was going to draft Dylan Carlson. We're lucky enough that they landed in our laps and we got them. But their work, the way that they've gone through the minor leagues, the way that they've grabbed the opportunity, the way that they have accessed the resources of Gary Larocque and our player development system to propel themselves to the stage, that um, it's their body of work. But what I am proud of is the feeling to be able to match the look in the eyes that I saw in the postseason in 2015 when I was just months into the job and I was watching that postseason up in the box with Mo and I saw that Mo and Gersh and Moises, Gary LaRocque, John Booch, and Matt Slater, um, those who were in attendance in that booth. I saw the look in their eyes as they knew the story behind every one of those players on that field, mm-hmm. the injuries that they had come back from, how were they uh, uh, procured, um, you know, it's the, the development or the pitch that they learned, um, the things that they had gone through in their path. And, and it felt to be able to mirror their expression a little bit on our postseason run was something that was uh, extremely uh, gratifying.
1: Randy, it's great to catch up with you. seeing you at the ballpark. Hopefully it's going to be sooner than later. Be safe, be healthy. Really appreciate your time, and best of luck on the uh, upcoming draft. Really appreciate your time.
4: Outstanding. Thanks, Dan.
1: That's Randy Flores. Fun stuff with him. The draft is coming up on June 10th, and he came to us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. The text lines are wide open, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Also, drop me a mic drop, the Rhino Shield mic drop. And you're listening to Scoops with Danny Mack. That was fun with Randy Flores. This is 101 ESPN.
0: More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mack in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
1: We're going to jump into the. Text messages, air comfort service line, text line, and also Rhino Shield mic drops. Hubbard Radio's deserving delivery saying thank you to those helping care for our community. And today's very deserving delivery is going to the great folks working at St. Louis University Hospital. Their awesome staff will be enjoying 100 meals today delivered by DB's Sports Bar. And those meals are courtesy of Hubbard St. Louis and our good friends at Perina. Thank you, Perina, And our continued gratitude to all those great folks working in our medical community during these times on the front lines from our station and the entire Hubbard St. Louis radio family. Dan McLaughlin back with you. That was fun with Randy Flores and I was thinking, Colin, I don't think game 7 of the NLCS of 2006 gets enough credit it probably did for a while but then there was game 6 of 2011 and that was on ESPN last night and I understand why I mean it's one of the most historic baseball games if not the greatest baseball game ever played I don't think that's overstating it it was an amazing baseball game first 5 or 6 innings weren't very good matter of fact they were bad it was a bad game but man the ending was pretty good the down to your final strike multiple times, pretty good. And I I just think back to 06, watching that, and literally Shea Stadium, rocking, moving. I mean, it was incredible. And so Randy Flores becomes the Game 7 winner of 2006. That was just amazing.
3: Dan, not only was Shea Stadium shaking, the second story of my house, then living (laughs) with my mother, was shaking because I remember... I hit my head on the ceiling when I jumped up after Yachty hit that home run. And it's just an unforgettable moment. One of those moments in sports where you remember exactly where you were, exactly what you were doing. And I remember things about the day. I can't I can't recall
1: anything about the rest of that year, Dan, but I remember that moment. I remember 06 pretty well. I, I really do. I mean, it was a team that was at the very end, of um, what was a great run with guys like Edmonds and Roland. Uh, Albert still had some good years in him. Carpenter came back in 07, pitched an opening night, had Tommy John surgery. That was opening night on a Sunday night game against the Mets. But I do remember it. It was a fun, fun year. This is from the uh, 618. I am concerned about the minor leaguers and if they will get to play at all this year. My son was drafted last year by the Oakland A's and has been doing all he can to be ready But they are worried that the minor league season will be a wash. Has anything been said that that might happen to them? I just read the tea leaves, and I don't know for certain. It's going to be awfully tough to play minor league baseball. I think that's the the bottom line is. And... You know they're encouraging the players to try to stay in shape, do all you can on the side. But until they say it's canceled, you know you hold out hope. Let's go to a Rhino Shield mic drop in, Rashan.
0: Good morning, guys. Uh, so just wanted to bounce this idea off you guys and see what you thought uh, for all four major sports. If if they did like a different kind of a broadcast or a TVMA where guys are mic'd up, you get to hear the speed and the hits uh, and some of the colorful language, like and from hockey and football, and then <laughs> baseball could do that, or they could do like a sabermetric broadcast where uh, you get to you know kind of go behind. Behind the curtain with them, basketball, same thing. Uh, I would definitely buy a subscription, like 200 bucks each sport. They sold a few million of those. They could recoup quite a bit of money. So what do you think?
1: Well, we talked about it yesterday. Um, there has been broadcasts that have been done just as a sabermetric look at the game. So they'll put in announcers or experts in that field to talk about a lot of things that Randy Flores was talking about. Um, and, and you can get into, you know, arm angle, bat angle launch angle, hit speed, um, miles per hour off the bat. I mean, all those things are a part of what baseball is now in 2020. And that's how, you know, look at it this way. You you measure a player's worth by war, wins above replacement. That's kind of the general feeling. But what's interesting is that every team has their own way of doing it. The Cardinals have a way of doing it. The Cubs do, the Dodgers, the Yankees. Some of it is similar, but some of it is their own metrics and how they evaluate a player. And in terms of if you don't have a crowd micing up the players, yeah, you're going to have a a TV-MA, mature audiences only. Because these are are guys playing a sport. There's competition. There's going to be bad language. There's going to be things that happen in that regard. We just don't hear them. I think the thing that would be fascinating in baseball is that when I've talked to players over the years, they say you wouldn't believe how much... Jaw jack and goes back and forth from the dugout to those that are on the field. And would you have that now? I think guys would be conscious of of knowing that they are, you know, wearing a mic or that everything can be heard. I mean, clearly that's going to be the case. But then you get into the heat of the moment and you don't think twice about it. I also think it's interesting when a guy goes to the plate and you're setting defenses. You know, all the time we have a shot of Willie McGee. And he looks at his card and he says, okay, our pitcher is this guy, Joe Blow's at the plate. We're going to play him this way because we're designing to pitch him in, pitch him out, whatever. We're going to use the numbers that we have to shift. And he's sitting there throwing out, hey, you need to move to your left. You need to move to your right. Come in a few steps. And a lot of times it's just done now when crowd uh, is in the seats. So you have a crowd. He's just doing it with his hands. Um, But in this particular instance, he can just probably scream to him and say, get in. Come in a few <laughs> steps. Let's go. It's it's just like you're playing high school baseball. You may have that um, and I think that that would happen without question. It's just part of the game now. Uh, 314, who is this year's Tommy Edmond? Also, Danny Mack, love your show and great addition on 101. Thank you very much. This year's Tommy Edmond, staying with the middle infield idea of your question is Edmundo Sosa. Edmundo Sosa had a very good spring, and with the expansion of rosters to 26, and now in this case, 30, uh, he he makes this team. He was very close to making it anyway, and he is one slick fielder, man. He's got a big, big arm, shortstop, good range, and what happened with him was that during the offseason and playing winter ball, hit for power, and he was showing that in spring training. And he could be a guy, especially if you're playing so many games without many days off, and the expansion of rosters, and maybe double headers. We don't know what the schedule is going to look like. It's not only the pitchers. I've been saying this from day one. It's not only pitchers you got to worry about, but you got to worry about these position players. How much have they been on their feet? You know, we talked to Paul DeYoung last week about it on the show, and he said that's my main concern. At least one of them is staying on my feet, knowing that I could be playing a double header. And he's a guy that didn't come out of the, the lineup up hardly at all last year so just staying on your feet is something you have to think about and that's where the role of Edmundo Sosa becomes greater in this type of season 314 Dan love what you're doing with the show how would you feel about having a short in-game player interview every inning during games when baseball returns every inning might be aggressive um, but during the game could we do it I think so It comes down, though, you got to have buy in from the players and you got to have buy in from management. You got to buy in from as a whole the production of Major League Baseball. But I I think it's something you have to think about, because if there's no fans in the stands and people are at home watching, number one, I think it's got to be interactive on social media, getting ideas on Twitter, things that we don't see or Facebook or Instagram or whatever you're on. But the other thing is we got to take fans inside the game. So various different looking camera angles, I think the use of drones has to be on the table. If there's no crowd, you can use drones. Um, and then having the chance to visit with those players. And I, I would say it's aggressive for every inning because what if you fall behind 8 to nothing, and you're the Cardinal broadcaster and they're down 8-0? Uh, they're not going to want to talk. I mean, it's just the way it is. Now, if you had a pregame scheduled interview with Mike Schilt in the fourth inning and he's down 8 nothing, he's going to do it. But if you're asking a player to do it, eh, I don't think that's going to happen. It's just... It's just not going to happen. Six three six. Dan can't wait until the ten o'clock hour to listen to your show every day. Thank you. Is baseball's competitive balance in jeopardy in the near future with the financial trouble that is going to cause some teams? Boy, that's a that's a big question. We don't. We only have an hour. Um, you know, I, I look at the Yankees and how they've been spending money over many many years, and then you look at the lower end teams, and I think of real concern for players whether or not we had this awful circumstance that has hit our our world and our country the the business side of baseball one of the things if it was not there so if you if you would have had a normal season you would have had this year next year and then you got uh, the CBA is up i think december 1st or 20th uh, or whatever it is on a year and a half from now they the players would have said you know our revenues or our salaries have gone down the last two years so um, where, where are we at on a floor? Where where's the tanking? You know, there's got to be some tanking going on here. Um, I was looking the other day, the Orioles. I think their their payroll was something like fifty five or sixty five million dollars compared to other teams that are some would have been over the luxury tax this year, and that's a competitive imbalance. I mean, it's kind of like you know you're in grade school and you got the kids that you're going to pick, and one you know Johnny and Bill are over here picking their teams and. You can take the best players and you're left with the other ones that aren't. I mean, that's just kinda way it is. That's the competitive balance and a simple way to put it in baseball and uh, that part of it, I think, will change going forward, and it needs to change because I don't think anybody wants to see tanking, and it's not good for the sport. It's not good for a fan base, and it's not good for the general competition of what we have going back and forth in MLB. Hey, I appreciate all the air comfort service text line uh, messages, also the Rhino Shield mic drops. I'm going to take a bunch of these that I have that I haven't gotten to, and I'll try to get to those tomorrow. We just light this thing up, and I appreciate it. It's your show. You make it work. You make me think. Up next, Crossover, ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. More of what
0: you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
1: I cannot wait to listen to T.J. Quinn of ESPN, investigative reporter, coming up on ribs and BK in the... Have you from 11 till 2 on 101 ESPN. This is the crossover. And i tell you what, I mean, BK, when you think about, first of all, the article was fascinating with how many writers contributed to the the, the information and all the exhaustive uh, avenues that they went down. I mean, you consider, if you haven't read the article, it's on ESPN.com. But they were talking about, with it was an article about baseball, but local governments of 27 cities, foreign country, Availability of more than 200,000 reliable coronavirus tests, um, and according to that report, Major League Baseball will be competing with medical providers uh, for essential resources in some of the states. And MLB in uh, MLB any sport is not going to siphon resources from the public. I, I just found it fascinating. I'm sure you did, too.
5: Yeah, it kind of spelled out in pretty plain circumstances exactly what is going to take place for any sport. And this was yeah. focused on baseball, but it exists for any sport to return to the field of play. I... There were certain things that I have massive questions about from the article, and that's why I'm really glad that we have T.J. Quinn on today. There's a quote in here that I kind of pulled out. A former team president wondered whether it's worth it. Quote, it's in no one's interest to play this year except for the game of baseball. League officials are moving forward only because the long-term health of the game is at stake here. He basically suggested in that article or they suggested kind of continuing what we've heard from the owners they're going to lose money by doing this i just don't believe it dan i I don't i I refuse to believe that by playing games this year and they're now suggesting that they wouldn't even have to pay players even if they had the players go out there for free to put on these games they would lose two billion dollars i don't believe it i I, i'm I'm calling bs on that and so i would love to hear from tj quinn exactly what is happening there what's the disconnect between what I'm seeing with my mind of a billion dollar industry that's now telling me that they're so poor that they can't even put these games on without having paid the player so I, I'm very curious from that perspective where he's hearing this from
6: he gets pretty intense on these things Danny yeah, okay he does. you got to try and keep your hands and feet away wow. from him okay? I, I just okay? don't I, I don't want to hear the owners crying poor right I'm now. not ba- I, Look, I, I'm <laughs> with you when you i'm just saying when you get on to something he does he goes diving into it <laughs> and then good. it's like Like three days straight, he's going to beat the heck out of it until he figures it out and until it actually matches his take. Well, let me ask you this (laughs) though: What else is there to talk about?
1: So you just got to beat a dead horse, kind of, right right now. We're in talk radio sports. I mean, I get it. I'm
6: I'm applauding his passion. Oh,
1: okay, my bad.
6: I'm applauding his passion.
1: Let me ask you this: If if you don't play, if if not now, when? You know, if if we're in the same spot. This time next year, and I mean it's all fluid things have changed i mean you you go back to two months ago I mean, I would have said man the percent i i 've always had hope, but the percentage was lower now cool. it's way greater i mean yeah. it, you know there's momentum to have sports, but if not now, when you know i mean if the virus is still here in the spring, but it's is there a pharmaceutical cocktail that you can help get through this? Is there a vaccine if there's not a vaccine? So I think it becomes like, what's your risk that you're willing to take to go do this? I, I, that's the bottom line. And and if a player doesn't want to do it, I mean, Rivs, you can speak to this. I totally get it, you know, especially if I'm a guy that's made generational money and I don't want to have that come into my house. You know, maybe I'm a carrier. I don't know it. And I don't want to expose yeah. my
6: wife or my mom or my dad. I get it. I I can't fault a player for that. No, it's a tough situation. It's it's just like anything else. Just like anybody else who's going out to work today, right now, you know, they're they're putting. There's a risk involved, and so same thing can be said to these athletes. And I know we look at them sometimes differently because they do make all this money, and people who don't make the same amount of money say, "Well, you suck it up." You know, come on, let's go. You're being paid millions. Let's take away the dollars of what they make. The risk is the same. It's the same for. Albert Pujols, let's say, as you know, our buddy Brian from Fenton. <laughs> they got the same risk going on here, uh, but obviously when you see the dollars that are being made by one individual as opposed to another, we tend to want to push them in that direction because we feel like, well, they're spoiled anyways. I don't think we should think that way. I think that everybody's kind of equal here in what they feel about the, their personal feelings about what risk they have.
1: Yes, I, I never have begrudged a player... Getting the money he gets because I've always felt that if Garrett Cole got $330 million, somebody felt he was worth it. So you're worth it. That's free enterprise, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the country we live in. So I've never begrudged a player for that. And if a player comes out and says, uh, you know, I, I just don't feel comfortable doing it. I'd say, I, I got you. It's OK. You know, now, if we have testing and we have safety protocols in place and somebody says, well, I agree with the testing and the protocols. I'm, I'm all about it. I feel good about it. I'm willing to go play. But then you don't play because of the money yeah. that that ain't going to fly. Yeah, I agree with that. I ain't going to fly. I do. I'm with you. Rivs BK coming up next on 101 ESPN.
6: You have been listening to the TV voice of the St.
4: Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.